from Psalm 112. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 10, which can be found on page 493 in your Pew Bibles or 952 in the large print. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us in creation. We thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And we thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself most clearly in Jesus. Your word made flesh. Lord, this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, we ask that you would open our ears. I pray that you would engage our minds. I pray that you would soften our hearts. That we would not just hear your word, but that we would understand it. And that we would be changed by it. By your word and by your spirit. Into the people that you have created us to be. In relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. And turning then to our New Testament lesson, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It should be found on page 958 in your pew Bibles, or 1838 in the large print pew Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been looking this Advent season at, uh, at the coming of Jesus. Not just the first coming when he came as a baby in Bethlehem, but the second coming. As Advent means coming. And so we're kind of looking at both of those simultaneously. As we prepare for Christmas and as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus at his first coming, we are also looking forward and preparing ourselves even now for his coming again. And uh, one of the ways we are doing that is looking at some of the parables that Jesus has told about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. We've already looked some at what it is like now, but what it will be like when he comes again. And so uh, for that, we are looking again at another parable. Before we do that, I want you to spend just a little bit of time here asking yourself the question, why are you here? And I don't mean, why are you here this morning? I mean, why are you here this morning? Why, why, are you, why do you exist today? Is there a purpose to that? You may have heard people say when uh, they have had some sort of a near-death experience or where the doctor said, there is no, there's nothing more we can do. And yet, then there's a miraculous turnaround and you ask them, what do you think happened there? You may have heard people say things like, I guess God still has more things for me to do here, or something along those lines. Why does it take an experience like that before we start reflecting that maybe God has us here now for a reason and for a purpose? Okay, with that in mind, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus, talking to his disciples, says again, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Everybody following so far? I'll let you decide who you think has got this right and who's got it wrong. Verse 19, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take this, the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ah, there it is again. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everyone's favorite part. No, that's not anybody's favorite part. But it's there. It's there. And we're going to see why it's there in a moment. Uh, Before we get too far along in this, I do have one point of uh, contention with the uh, New International Version translation of this passage. Because it talks about these bags of gold. And uh, the bags of gold... The reason they translate it that way is because, um, well, the word in, that you may have been more familiar with from older translations is talent, and it comes from the Greek word that is actually just talent. And, uh, however, that then sometimes got translated into a gold coin, or this many gold coins, or that sort of thing. And then you had to start having this small amount, but really it was a large weight measurement, a talent was. And so... Uh, They would weigh the gold against that weight, and that's how much it was. So bags of gold is helpful in helping us understand this is a lot of money. In fact, I did the math on this and figured out that in today's dollars, the one who was given the uh, five talents, that's roughly $3 million. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, I just see some eyes get a little wider. Maybe I should have opened with that. Anyway. And even the one with just the one... Uh, we're still looking at about $600,000 there. So this is no, you know, not like pocket change that he's entrusting them with. This is big stuff. And, uh, and that's where I think the NIV gets it right. In, it's bags of gold we're talking about here. That's a lot of money. Um, however, where it's a little unhelpful is that it takes us away from that word talent, which, by the way, if you look in English dictionaries at the word talent that we have for, you know, the talents and abilities and things you're good at, you know where we get that word? We don't just get that word from Greek. We do get it from Greek, but we get it specifically from this parable. This is why we talk about our abilities as talents, because we recognize them as gifts from God that are to be used for his glory and for the uh, good of his kingdom. I'm afraid we lose that if we just think about bags of gold. So helpful in one sense, not helpful in another. Anyway. Um, however, I also think it's bigger than just that, bigger than just our abilities, that what Jesus is talking about here is not just take the things you're good at and use them wisely for the good and the glory of God. It's certainly in there. But it's more than that. Because it is, it does use money as a thing that's there. So we can also look at that and say, well, what about the money that we have? Should we be using that for the glory of God and and his kingdom? Sure. But wait, maybe it's more than that too. What if we look at these talents as things that are gifts of God? You may have heard, uh, it goes around from time to time, especially in November, that uh, line of, what if the only things that you had today were the things that you remember to thank God for yesterday? Hmm. 
We just came out of a season of Thanksgiving. I say that tongue in cheek, as though when you pass the day of Thanksgiving, you no longer need to give thanks. We're not, uh, we're not doing Thanksgiving anymore. That was in November. Now we're on to, uh, you know, making our wish lists and the what Santa better bring me lists and those sort of things. We're past Thanksgiving. We're on to greed now. Doesn't work that way. What we see all the way through um, the Bible is that the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, and everyone in it. This is Psalm 24. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He made it all. Everything. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 about people who like to uh, boast about things. He says, what do you have? What do you have that you did not receive? That's a good question to ask. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now, it's easy to take a look at things like money or abilities and things like that and say, yeah, 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 no, no, no. I get that I received some, but I've worked really hard, and I've made a lot, and... uh, of good decisions along the way, and that is why I am where I am. This has not anything to do with receiving things from God. Now, I am not at all trying to imply that your hard work has played no part. Of course it does. But then you have to back up a step. Who gives you the ability to work hard? Who gives you a mind that is able to function the, ways the way yours does, who gives you a body that's able to keep going the way yours does. And the more we continue to back up and get a bigger picture view, the more we realize everything that we have, everything that we are, apart from sin, comes from God. The only thing that we bring to it is our own rebellion. But everything else comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So when we look at these um, bags of gold in, in this light, it changes the way we look at this parable. When we see that the master is the one who owns all the stuff, and he gives to each, one of the things we notice in this, he doesn't give all the same. Now, I want us to, I hope you're wide awake this morning and can do a little bit of math here with me. He gives a one five, gives another two, and he gives another one. This one doubles it to ten, this one doubles it to four, and this one doesn't do anything. But I want us to flip that. What if it had gone in another direction? What if the one who had five was the one who said, not doing anything. The one who had two doubled his, now he has four. And the one who had one doubled his, now he has two. Do you know what we would be tempted to do as we look at the situation? We would say the one who has five did better because he's got five. The others only have four and two, respectively. Do you think that would be the, uh, the final assessment by the master? It's not about the amount, is it? It's about what they did with what they were given. 
And this is where we miss it a lot of times when we look at uh, our friends and family and neighbors and we start comparing ourselves to them and saying, am I living as a better Christian than they are? Am I living as a better citizen than they are? Am I using, you know, doing things better than they are? And here's the problem. We don't know what kind of raw material they started with. Maybe they only had one to begin with, and they're all the way up to three now. And you started with five, and you still have five. And so the things that come easy to you, maybe they're working really hard to not even get that far. Do we get to look down on that? Nope. Because the question isn't, did you do better than your neighbor? But what did you do with what I gave you? And we see this when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's not about the amount. It's what did you do? Were you faithful with what you were given? And then we get to the awkward part of the parable. The the guy who takes, takes the one and he buries it in the ground. And we say, oh, come on. Can't you, can't you give him a pass? Didn't he, I mean, he gave back what, you, what you'd given to him. He claims that should be good enough. How come it's not good enough? And then he's thrown out and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going on here? Again, it's not about the amount. It's what did you do with what you were given. And then you have to put it in the context of the whole rest of the Bible. And what we talked about earlier with the children of the one who created you and then bought you. When you see what Jesus has already done for you, and then he says, okay, now I want you to live in this kingdom. I want you to live in relationship with the Father. I want you to live to do the things that you were created to do at first, and yet you've all turned away. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to give you my spirit that you're able to do these things and to be the people that I created you to be in relationship with God, reflecting him as his image bearers in this world, loving him and loving others. All right, now you look at the guy who has the one. And do you see what he actually does with this? The guy that has five, the guy that has two, says, thank you very much. I'm going to make the most of this. I am thrilled to be a part of what you are doing in this world. And so they do. And they go. And they use what they're given, and it grows. The one with one says, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't like him. I don't trust him. I don't want anything to do with him. And so he buries it in the ground. And then when it comes time to give it back, the others present everything. Here you go. And what does he do? We find him doing the same kind of thing that Adam and Eve did. Did you eat the fruit that you weren't supposed to eat? And Eve says, or Adam says, it was the woman. She, she gave it to me. That's why it was her. It was her. Then he says to Eve, did you eat the fruit? She says, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. And, I ate. and this man doesn't just bring what he has, but instead says, immediately starts making excuses and blaming. And who does he blame? 
He blames the master. The reason I didn't do anything is because you're a jerk. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. But that's that's kind of what he says. You've got to read between the lines. <laughs> he says, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown. Got... And so basically, I don't trust you. I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. That's why I didn't do anything with your money. I don't think that you should be ruling over me, and I'm going to be the one that makes the decisions. But the master is called the master for a reason. (laughs) He is the one who gets to say what happens. And he is the one who gets to say what we do. And not only that, but he's the one who gave it to begin with. And this is why, at the end, we see uh, the one thrown out that worthless servant thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we've looked at this before. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's not the kind of thing where you have um, people who are on the outside who are saying, why won't you let me in? Why won't you let me in? Please, please let me in. It's not that. It's the door that's been open and you say, come on in. But the door is Jesus. You come through this way. And you have to want to be in. You have to want to have something to do with the real Lord. And you have people on the outside saying, not that way. Mm -mm. I'm not going that way. That's not fair. And so they're outside. Weeping and gnashing the teeth and blaming, blaming God though he has already done everything to bring them in. So, where does this leave us? With the same question we began with. Why are you here today? Are the things that God has given you, gifts, talents, abilities, Has he given you health? Has he given you relationships? Has he given you words? Has he given you knowledge? Has he given you a mind? Has he given you a body? To be used in relationship with him to do the things that he has put us here to do, to reflect who he is as we love him, walk with him, and reflect that that love into the world. I bet so. The other question is, are we doing that? Jesus is the only person who did it perfectly. I don't want to set the bar too high here. He's the only one who did it perfectly, but it's because he did it perfectly and gave his life for us that we are able to do that as well. Way more than we could do ever before or on our own. But also, we've talked about the prayer of confession. That as we fall, we can come back to him again and keep on going. That at the end, we would be those who would have something to show. Not that we did it, but it shows our heart of what we desired more than anything was to share in our master's happiness and then to hear him say, 
Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come, share your master's happiness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.